0: Have you been to an Al-Anon or AA convention? What was it like? Welcome to episode 194 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Michelle, Roberta, and James. They use the notation button on our website. Thank you, Michelle, Roberta, and James, for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we would like to state that though we at the Recovery Show may be in a 12 step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I'm your host today. So this last weekend, March 10th to 12th, the annual March Roundup AA convention with Al-Anon participation took place in Dearborn, Michigan. I had been encouraged by friends to think about going, and so I did. I asked my wife if she was interested in going. She said yes, so we signed up, and we went. So, what was it like? It's the first time I'd ever been to an AA or an Al Anon convention. I thought I had some idea of of what to expect. There would be workshops, there would be speaker talks, there would be fellowshipping, there would be lots of people. And I guess those expectations were borne out. I also had an expectation that I might be able to find a little bit of quiet time here and there to talk to people who were attending, maybe some of the people who had little exhibits about AA or Al-Anon that I might be able to find a time to to talk to them for the podcast. And that expectation was almost immediately dashed. Uh, It became very clear that wasn't going to happen. There's a number of reasons for that. Unfortunately, my wife was sick. She had a cold. And so we weren't able to attend as much of the conference as I think we had planned to. And in, in particular, we made it only to one workshop and we missed one of the speakers. But we still got a lot out of the weekend, I think. I got a lot out of the weekend, anyway. We saw four speakers. We saw two AA speakers, one al speaker and one Alatine speaker. And I'll talk a little bit more about what I heard from them. What I can take away from, from their talks. I will say that the experience of hearing a, a speaker share their experience, strength, and hope, seeing a speaker share their experience, strength, and hope in front of thousands of people is quite different from, and and still quite the same as the same experience in a small meeting. Did I say there were 2,400 people that attended? I don't think I did. That was pretty amazing. The big hall for the Saturday night speaker was packed with people. It was It was amazing. We did only... And end up attending one workshop. It was a skit about the AA traditions, which are very similar to the Al-Anon traditions. And if you're not familiar with the Al-Anon traditions, we did a whole series on them in 2014 with uh, Ruth assisting. We talked about one tradition each month. So if you go back to early episodes, it would be around... Starting around episode 50-something, we have all 12 traditions, you get more familiar with them, how they might apply to your lives as well as to your al meetings. This skit was fun, it was a little bit stilted with people basically reading their parts off of paper, but some people really got into it It basically dramatized, and perhaps simplified, but dramatized the sorts of things that can happen to a group when the traditions are not followed. Ranging from getting involved in politics and arguing about it, screening members. That was, that was sort of a funny part. They had this huge long form that a prospective member had to fill out to determine if they were qualified for membership. And then there was a, a person who had just stopped into the meeting on his way back from the general service convention in New York, who was a delegate and gently put them back on track, told them about the traditions. And they were like, Oh, wow, we're really. Really doing it wrong, aren't we? We'll do better. Very simplified, but but fun—a fun introduction to what they were about, and and an illustration of of the kinds of things that can happen when we don't pay attention to those traditions. Also, at the convention, there were there was a room with labeled AA archives and another room labeled Alanon archives, and we were a little curious about what was in there. And what we found were a bunch of well, let's I talk about the, the AA archives, and some people might be interested in this sort of thing. There were all the different editions of the AA, big book, um, different printings, first printing, second printing. There was a wartime printing that was smaller and thinner because paper was rationed, and they had to make the paper smaller and thinner. talked about what were some of the differences between the different editions of of the book. But more interesting was... Excerpts from sort of local AA history, information, photos, newspaper articles, obituaries about the first Detroit member who started the first meeting in Detroit, about the first Detroit meeting that was interracial back in 1940-something, thirty late 30s, early 40s, very early on in the program. I don't remember exactly now. And a bunch of other news items about various AAs who were in the news for one reason or another. It was it was interesting. It was definitely worth, you know, the twenty minutes or whatever we spent in there. And the Al Anon archive was somewhat similar. There was some material about early Al Anon, but also a lot of material about sort of the history of and development of Al Anon in Michigan. And these are what we in the academic business call primary sources, most of them. There were minutes from Al Anon World Service meetings, there were Minutes from the state convention, there were lists and lists and lists of Al-Anon meetings by year, going back to 1952 when the first four meetings in the state were started, or at least registered with New York. And that was also sort of interesting. There was also some old Al-Anon literature and some old pre-Al-Anon literature. There was a book that said AAA on the cover, which I think stood for Alcoholics Anonymous Auxiliary, I'm not 100% sure on that. Apparently some of the early groups were also called Non-Alcoholics Anonymous. It's kind of a funny name. We're the non-alcoholics and we're anonymous. But it's true. That was also fun. We chatted a little bit with the guy who's the current holder of the archives. Apparently this is a rotating position that gets moved on at the state convention. I don't remember if it was every year or every other year. Keeping the boxes full of stuff and bringing them to the convention for display. So that was kind of fun. And it was nice it was pretty quiet in both of those rooms. And being out in the main part of the convention in the hall, there were a lot of people. It were just a lot of people. If you if you're not good with crowds, it could be a problem. We also stopped into the Recovered Podcast hospitality suite briefly because unfortunately, the Recovered Podcast live taping was scheduled at exactly the same time as the Alanon and the Alateen speakers, and we really wanted to go see them. So we went in and said hi to Mark and a couple of his co-hosts and then went to those speakers. I understand that uh, the recording went well. I have it on my phone. It got downloaded yesterday. Uh, I haven't had time to listen to it yet. We weren't able to go back on Sunday because of my wife just needing to stay in bed and recover from her cold. So I went to church instead, and I'll talk about that in the uh, my Life and Recovery segment, because there was some relevance there to program, interestingly. So what did I get? What did I learn? What inspired me? And I have to come back to the speakers, partly because that was our primary experience of the convention. The Alateen speaker said, when she got up, she said, you know, they told me to talk about my message, not my mess. But my mess and my message are are intertwined like the double helix of a DNA molecule. And I can't talk about my message without talking about my mess. And I think that's true for a lot of us. But what I heard in a couple of the talks, and and I have to really think about how, how I could change the way I talk about my experience, was a real intertwining, intermingling of the mess and the message. You know, the traditional, the most common form of an open talk is what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. And it's usually spoken in that order. We hear the drunkologue, or the the non-drunkologue for the Al-Anon, I guess. We hear the experience of finding recovery. How did we get to our first meeting? What bottom did we hit to actually bring us here? And then we hear the experience of recovery and a new life. And that makes a good talk, often. But both the Friday night AA speaker and the Saturday afternoon Al-Anon speaker did it differently. They started with recovery. And as they were talking about the things that they had learned, as they were talking about what recovery meant to them, they brought in the past they brought in their experiences their bottom their finding aa and and really interwove those two parts of their life and it was it was a different kind of a talk it was it was very powerful for both of them for me listening to both of them and i wonder how to do that how to do that i did speak to another friend about the friday night speaker and and they said yeah, it started out kinda of slow, but then it got good, so not everybody's experience would be the same as mine, I guess. Both of the AA speakers used a similar phrase. I think they said it quite slightly differently, but the, the the Saturday night speaker spoke about at one point in his life deciding that he just needed to not drink anymore, that it was destroying his life. And for three months he was able to not drink and Everything went really well because he wasn't drinking and he wasn't destroying himself. He wasn't sabotaging himself. And then, as he says, I forgot to remember that I wasn't drinking. And that took him back into another period of drunkenness and problems, which I think ended up with an arrest, if I remember correctly. And so then he resolved to to not drink again, and, and he managed to do that for a while. And then he forgot to remember that he wasn't drinking and went off again. The Saturday afternoon Al-Anon speaker also spoke about forgetting to remember his his Al-Anon recovery principles, forgetting to remember not to get caught up in an argument, forgetting to remember not to try to save an alcoholic. He says, I need, I need this program to help me remember to remember these things. I have to remember to remember. I don't think I had thought about it in those terms before but both of those both of those phrases forgetting to remember or have to remember to remember really ring true to me and my my own personal experience that there are things that I know that I'm supposed to do I'm supposed to do my physical therapy for my neck but I forget to remember to do it and until I'm driving the car and my arm hurts because I haven't been doing it and my nerves being pinched I can't do it while I'm driving the car. And then I get to a place where I could do it and I forget to remember. So need to remember to remember to do these things. I need to remember to remember to meditate. And I have a reminder there, I have a short meditation that there's a podcast that I listen to called 60 Seconds of Solitude, which is a a short 60 second meditation with a word for each day that You can focus on if you want. I don't. I just focus on my breathing. So I get at least 60 seconds in, and that's the that's the way I remember to remember to meditate, because I have it set up to come up at the front of the list of podcasts in my podcast app. So every morning, there it is. Another way that I remember to remember to do things is to make a schedule. Monday, Wednesday morning, Saturday morning, I exercise. Except when I don't. But at least I say, oh, today is my day for exercise, but... This other things happening and I can't. And, you know, there's a problem, but we do what we can, progress, not perfection. The Saturday afternoon Alan anon speaker, I was a little bit surprised. I saw the program and it said, Tom W. from California. And I had some years ago, and I think I spoke of them in the podcast, listened to a series of talks he gave at what I think was a, a weekend workshop on the steps. And we were, I think six talks on the 12 steps, something like that. So six hours worth of talks. And I remembered really loving his delivery and his insights and his explanation, I guess. His experience, he, the way he wove his experience into the discussion of, of each step. Then I saw Tom W., and I thought, could that be the same Tom W.? I thought he was an AA. I thought, now nah, must be another Tom W. And then I ran into a friend who said, oh... I really want to go, it's Father Tom doing the Al-Anon talk. And I was like, really? Oh, wow. So I was so looking forward to it, and I was not disappointed. Again, he did not he did not start with the problem. I think he started by briefly qualifying himself as the adult child of an alcoholic. But he talked a lot more about the message and only a little bit about the mess. He talked about his realization that he really belonged in Al-Anon when and i wish i could find this thing he talked about going to an Al-Anon convention conference and somebody had put together an Al-Anon musical where they take the words of a popular song and change them to be relevant to program there was a song that was set to the the tune of o oh, bladi o oh, blada by the beatles and he said the first voice, first verse was pretty funny and the second verse and again i wish i could remember the words he he sang it and It was about, you know, daddy's in the kitchen getting drunk and, and ends with something about being a better kid. If I, you know, if I could be a better kid, maybe they would, they would, these things wouldn't happen. And he said he just burst into tears with that second verse. And, and it sounded to me, I don't think he said this explicitly, but that was the, the moment when he really knew that he belonged. He used a wonderful metaphor. For alcoholism and the way in which we Alanons react to it or act in that family disease. He said, A friend of mine said to me once, said, Alcoholism is like dancing with a gorilla. It's not over until the gorilla's done. Except he didn't say dancing, he said dating. Except he didn't say dating. And we all laughed because then we knew what he meant. And he was able to give us that image without actually saying it. You know, being a priest, maybe he doesn't say that. I don't know. And he said, you know, we'd like to go to the zoo. And we go by the giraffes. And we go by the elephants. And then we get to the gorilla. And there's our loved one in the cage dancing with the gorilla. And we want to save them from the gorilla. So we go in there and maybe we sweep and we vacuum and we hang up a picture of the Pope or the Dalai Lama because maybe that will inspire them to to stop dancing. And none of that works. And eventually we try to get in between our loved one and the gorilla. And then the gorilla turns on us and attacks us. He said, what we need to do He said, this is what you need to remember. Don't go in the cage. But but I just want to vacuum a little. That would be okay, wouldn't it? Don't go in the cage. And it's so perfect. It's so perfect. And he said at some point the gorilla gets tired and then... Your loved one has a chance to get out and maybe they will and maybe they won't. But don't go in the cage. So we're gonna meet over here by the giraffes, where we can talk about not going in the cage. We can talk about how we keep ourselves out of the cage and so on. A lot of other good stuff in there, but that's that's my takeaway from that one. Don't go in the cage. Don't dance with the gorilla. I made some new friends. I mean, you know, friends for the moment. My wife and I signed up for the the banquet because we figured that way at least we'd know we were getting dinner. And it was, you know, a hotel banquet. It was in this round, rotating dining room at the top of the hotel. So there were some nice views out across the city of Detroit. We could see the full moon rising. We could see the sun setting. We could see the airplanes flying over us as they came down to land at Detroit Airport and so on. Since it was just the two of us and a third person that we had been talking to in, in line that we didn't know before, we found a table that had some empty seats and sat down. Most of the other people at the table seemed to know each other. They were a group of friends and and they were chattering away and telling funny stories and laughing and and I was just kind of sitting there soaking it in. And at one point, the woman who was, I think, telling most of the stories turned and said, bet you're sorry you sat down with us, huh? And I said, absolutely not. I said, I don't have to say a thing here. I can just sit back and enjoy the show. And they all laughed. And it was true. And we didn't know, but what we found out when we came down for the Saturday evening speaker talk, which, as I said, the hall was absolutely full with 2,400 people, is that by virtue of paying for food as part of the conference, we got to sit in a roped off section at the front so that we didn't have to fight for seats. So that might have been worth the, might have been worth part of the cost of the dinner too. The, the Saturday evening speaker was the guy who forgot to remember not to drink. I enjoyed his talk. He, it was very different. The, all three of them were very different, were very different people, you know, different presentation style, different way of telling the story. The Friday evening guy, I wondered if he had some preaching in his background because was very much a, a fiery preacher kind of a talk. Father Tom was just telling his story, you know, he was up there being a person. And the Saturday evening guy was a Brit, uh, grew up apparently in Central Africa, and he had a very quiet, slow-paced delivery. Again, told a great story. So yeah, met some new friends, saw some old friends. The couple who had been encouraging me to, to come to March Roundup for a couple of years now. Tom and Grace—they've been on the show. They talked about their experiences with conventions last year. Some other people that I knew from around, from meetings, from going to open talks, and that was good. But with that many people, I'm sure there were other people there that I knew that I never saw. I didn't really get to spend a lot of time with people that I that I did meet. Oh, yeah, I had, one of my listeners came up and said, "Hey, I really enjoy your show. Thank you for doing it." So it was a good weekend. And if you get a chance, to go to one of these conventions or conferences, I really encourage you to to check it out. You get a different view of recovery. You get to hear some voices other than your own group, which can be good sometimes. And great speakers, at least this one. So, So go give it a try. Don't be shy. There'll be a lot of people there who you don't know, and they don't know you, and they don't necessarily know it's your first time. And if they did, they'd say, Welcome. I did have the the somewhat unnerving experience of walking past a, a person or a group of people and having somebody say, Spencer, hi. I'm like, what? Oh, do I know you? No, I just said hi. Okay. <laughs> and maybe we chat for a minute. And that was that fellowship thing. that We're all in here together. In that sense, we all know each other, I guess. It was good. And I, I think I'll do it again. And maybe next time I'll plan ahead a little bit that, people that I want to talk to, I can arrange ahead of time that, hey, let's get together at one o'clock, we'll find a, a quiet corner, and, and we'll sit down and just talk about our experience at the conference, and then I could put together put together a show from that, maybe. So it's a thought. After a short break, we'll continue with our lives in recovery, where we talk about our how recovery works in our daily lives. in this section of the podcast, we talk about our life in recovery, what's happening in our meetings and our lives this week. And I will be brief because I talked a lot about my week already, my weekend anyway. But I, I promised to, to talk a little bit about how going to church Sunday morning related to my recovery. We have a, a monthly topic that the sermons follow each each month, and our topic this month is resilience. The focus this Sunday was on practices that we can have to help be more resilient, to help us be able to weather the, the ups and the downs of daily life more easily to bounce back from, from distress or, or pain. There was an insert in the order of service that had a list of some things that some people did to help enhance or keep their resilience and, and then five blanks and said, write down five things that you do for resilience. Don't have to be the most important five things, just write down five things. And so I thought about it, I don't have the list with me, but I know I put Al Anon Meetings and Literature at the top of the list. Sleep was on there somewhere, exercise was on there, eating well, and something else. Meditation maybe? So what are things that you do? Maybe you can think of five things that you do to enhance your resilience or to keep your resilience so that the daily messes don't don't take you down. And then yesterday evening our kid called and was just feeling really down As they said they said their heart hurt what it came to was that they have been doing a lot they've been doing a lot of work they've been very active politically when they're not at work and they're also doing sort of personal work I'm trying to I think working on on something that might become a business and so I said yeah I work eight hours and then I come home and I work at least eight hours and my, my apartment is just a total wreck. It's it's a pigsty. I don't think they used exactly that word, but that's what I heard. And I just feel horrible. I was able to say, well, wow, here's some things I heard today. Here's how I've learned to apply these things in my life. And here's, here's you know, about balance, about not overcommitting. Um, and I spoke about a couple times in my life when I had overcommitted and was then not able to actually do the things I had to do that I had committed to do, as well as I wanted to, and so that made me feel bad about that. And I think it was very much like a sponsor call. I think I treated it very in my head very much like a sponsor call, although I wasn't wasn't thinking about it in that way as I was talking. But afterwards, I thought, yeah, you know, if this kid had been one of my sponsees, I think I would have said pretty much the same stuff. I would have felt a little different. It's really it's hard. You know, when one of your kids is struggling, it's hard, but there it was, you know, my higher power gave me space to go hear something that I needed to hear so that I could help my child later in the day. I had some fun yesterday. Our, our church music director does this thing once a year where he brings together somewhere between 100 and 150 people, and he never knows exactly until they show up on Saturday. They show up Saturday, they practice for four hours singing five or six songs. And then on Sunday, they gave a concert. She said, this, this choir did not exist 48 hours ago. And it's a participatory concert. They sing to us, and then we all sing together. And it was it was great. A lot of good songs, a lot of good singing. I like to sing great music. Um, take me out of myself for a little while. Help, help feed back some energy, get back some of that resilience. So that's my life and my recovery this week. Starting to put together an episode on obsessive thinking. I've got a couple of contributions from listeners and thank you for those. And we'll be hearing those in that episode. We welcome your thoughts. You can join our conversation. You can contribute to this episode or to any episode by leaving a voicemail or sending an email with your, your feedback, your experience, strength and hope, your questions. You can call and leave a voicemail at 734-707-8795. You can use the voicemail button on the website or you can send email to feedback at therecovery.show. All of our contact methods along with more information about participating is on the website at therecovery.show slash contact. We really would love to hear from you. got a couple weeks worth of email voicemail here so let's look at this one of the listeners wrote and asked about online meetings for Al-Anon or CoDA I sent a couple of resources to the listener and I thought I would mention them here and put links in the show notes because it seems to be a common question One of the places that I've attended online video or audio don't have to show your face meetings is in the rooms.com it's an online recovery community has a forum. I don't think there's an Al-Anon meeting every day. I forget which day or days the Al-Anon meeting is. I've, I've attended a couple times. Back when I was working a lot, I was working evenings. I could go into a conference room and attend a meeting and then come back out and continue working, which, you know, burning the candle at both ends for a while there, but not for, not for long. The Al-Anon website itself, the official Al-Anon website, has a couple of pages, one with a list of phone meetings where you, you call into a phone number and it's like a conference call and another with a list of electronic meetings. And I think they may have both video and sort of chat room type meetings. I'm not sure. I haven't haven't attended any of those. I'll put links to those in the show notes at therecovery.show slash 194. i got a voicemail from Roberta.
1: Hi, Spencer and everyone who co-hosts the show. Uh, I just want to give a shout out and say thank you so much, Spencer, for what you do. This is a huge part of my recovery. My name is Roberta. I'm from California. And I'm calling with feedback on episode, I'm in the middle of it, so I had to stop and call you, of 186, um, being ready for recovery. You and I have very similar stories. My ex-husband was in um, his first uh, rehab situation. We had family day. And there was this great counselor. And one of his reference said, and it stuck with me, since then, and that was about four, five years ago. He said, if you have an opportunity to throw a basketball in a hoop, you know, a half-court shot for a million dollars, are you going to practice a little every day, or are you going to go out there on the day that that is the money ball and just shoot and hope and pray it works? That resonated with me because I was so angry being there. I was, so, and the other thing that resonated being ready for Al-Anon because I had, like I like to say, is I like to I waltzed in and out of the program. I came in, I dabbled, I went to a couple meetings, but you know my problems. You know I had in the throes of the, the disease for both of us, my ex-husband and I. Uh, you know I had a younger daughter. My daughters are two years, excuse me, nine years apart. So I had a toddler and I had a teenager. I was dealing with adolescence, you know, puberty and potty training. That's what I was dealing with. So dabbling, waltzing in and out of the program. And when that counselor said to me, you know what? And he said to everybody in the class, we're telling them the exact thing we're telling you. Go to meetings. Find a sponsor. Work the steps. Have a program. Talk it out. I was like, holy snipey! I can't freaking believe I gotta do this. And that's when I actually made the commitment to go to my one Al Anon meeting a week. Then I brought in another Al Anon meeting a week. And then I finally asked a sponsor. You know, I, you know, I was like, okay, I gotta get a sponsor. I gotta, I gotta do this. It is, it's been, I, you know, people talk about being grateful for the alcoholic. I'm not sure I'm grateful, but I have compassion. And I have love for the program which I have found. So again, thank you so much for your just your energy and your effort.
0: Thanks, Roberta. I, I like the sort of the image about practicing. Do you just wait for the the million dollar throw, or do you practice some to make it you know more likely that you're going to do it? And you know, for each of us, it whatever it takes to get us into the program. I think is what we what we had to do. You know. A listener wrote in about episode 112, which was titled, Do You Drink? They write, Hi Spencer, I'd like to start by saying thanks for all the podcasts. I discovered them about five months ago, and I love listening. I just listened to podcast 112 about Do You Drink? I'm writing to share my experience. I've gotten rid of all alcohol in my house, brought it back, brought it back only when friends were over, gotten rid of it again. I've had wine in front of my alcoholic husband at restaurants, not had wine in front of him, etc. It's like an ongoing revision of the decision. My mantra has always been, if my drinking or having alcohol in the house bothers you, let me know, and I won't. My goal is to be supportive. Now that our son who left college because of addictions lives with us, no alcohol in the house and no drinking in front of my son is the rule for me. My son's counselors have shared that environment is really important for younger people in early sobriety, and this is one way I can support him. I get the three C's, about not causing, controlling, or being able to cure alcoholism or a relapse. I also don't want to contribute to the problem and want to be courteous of how hard sobriety is for the alcoholic. I have a hard time resisting desserts when I'm dieting, let alone if my husband had my favorite stocked in the house for me to avoid. Here are some behaviors of my husband's that I observed over the past few years. He's been sober for four and a half years. Please don't buy boxed wine. It's too much of a temptation. Okay, no problem. Please don't leave a wine bottle in on the counter. Keep it in a certain place. Again, okay, no problem. When out to dinner. He'd help me choose a wine I'd like, and she put help in quotes. He'd comment if some wine was left in the glass that I didn't drink. I was okay with him not finishing his Diet Coke. He'd given me Southwest Airline drink coupons, which I said, I think I'll get a glass of wine. Thanks. When I forgot to use them on the flight, he commented that I'd wasted them insisting on needing to cook with wine he couldn't buy it because that was a trigger for him he wanted me to pour the wine in the dish and then pour the rest down the drain i did that for him now my boundary is if you're going to cook with wine you buy it you pour it and you empty it i'm not a part of it anyway i didn't make a big stink about it anymore but just completely stay out of the entire wine with cooking issue moving my wine glass a few inches away when we were out to dinner asking me to describe the flavor of the wine and if he could smell it when out to dinner. I spoke with several double winners about these and other behaviors that I observed. Their opinion was that he still obsesses about alcohol and they suggested a variety of things. My interpretation is that his behaviors and actions don't match, his words of it doesn't bother me. I would feel guilty if my husband went back to drinking and I felt I contributed to it. I have a boundary in place, that he has to move out if he relapses on alcohol. I really don't want this to happen, so I want to keep my side of the support him street clean. So for now, I don't have alcohol in the house. I don't drink in front of my son. I occasionally have one or two drinks in front of my husband, depending on the situation. And I have a drink when out socially, when my husband and son are not present. What this looks like is zero to three glasses of wine per week. If I'm considering having a glass of wine when in the company of other AA people, I ask if they would feel comfortable if I had a glass of wine before ordering. Feedback on that has been, I appreciate you asking, and I think if you did, it would help others to feel comfortable doing so. Turns out, I'm not the only one who gets uncomfortable about whether to drink or not to drink with alcoholics. My point, I like myself a lot better when I behave in a courteous and kind fashion. Alcoholics have a disease and can be at different points in recovery. For now, I choose to support them by not drinking in certain situations. I will continue to look at my codependency, since it contributes to my mental health as well. Hope this helps someone, Midwest listener. And and thank you, listener, for, for that... Um, that great note, and with sharing your experience. And I sort of have to agree that it sounds like he's still obsessed, but I shouldn't be taking his inventory, I guess. Got an email from Maria. Says, Hi Spencer, I just finished listening to episode 193 for the second time today. It was excellent, and had I not known better, I would have thought Buck was speaking from an AA point of view. Could you please mention the name of the poem he read at the end? It's beautiful. I just returned from vacation, and this is one of the many pics I took. She sent sent a photo in the, in the email. It looked familiar at the time, but only now do I recognize it as the same butterfly that is in your logo. I'll chalk that up to being a god wink. Do you know what kind it is? Imagine you're having fun at the conference this weekend. I laughed when I heard the way people would recognize you shoulder-length hair that you dyed crazy colors. You sound like a fun guy. Thanks again for all you do, Spencer. I sure do enjoy the recovery show. Best regards, Maria. I actually read this on my phone as I was standing in the convention hall uh, waiting for one of the speakers to start. So that, that, the reference to the, yeah, I'm having fun at the convention. It was true. The picture that she took with the, and the picture that we have in our logo is a Luna moth. The one in my logo I took was on the screen door of my parents' house. I'll uh, put, put Maria's picture in the show notes so you can enjoy it too. It's a beautiful moth. Thanks for the photo. And in response, I sent her a photo of my ponytail with the red, purple, and blue stripes, sort of striped in a ponytail. And there was something else. Let's see. Oh, the poem. I do not know the name of the poem. I'll have to go back and listen to the end of his talk and maybe throw those words into Google and see if it pops. I bet it does. Kristen wrote with a question. I've only attended a handful of Al-Anon meetings in the past. I struggled and continue to struggle with this concept of alcoholism as a disease that is out of the user's control. Alcoholism is run in my father's side of the family, and I personally make a conscious effort not to drink. It is a choice whether or not I drink that I'm capable of making. Are there guidelines to help me understand that it is an illness out of one's control? I feel I can't get help without overcoming this thought, but I just don't even know what the first step would be. Also, are there any online forum meetings for Al-Anon? I've developed anxiety associated with my partner's drinking, where basically, if I'm at a meeting outside my home, I'm full of anxiety worrying that my husband will be drinking while I'm out. I don't even know whether or not my spouse has a drinking problem. He seems to think my anxiety stems from problems growing up with my alcoholic father. My spouse doesn't drink every day, but I know he lacks control around it and binge drinks. I'm sorry if this email is all over the place, but I appreciate your time. Thanks. P.S. I appreciate your podcast, and it has really gotten me thinking of al again. And I might have said something about this in last week's podcast, now that I think about it. but And I, I sent a, an email response to Kristen. So my short, term, short version of, this is a disease, but hey, why can't they do something about it, works like this. So it's a disease of the mind and the spirit, and it wants to keep itself going. You know, it's the gorilla in, in Father Tom's metaphor. It affects the way that the person with the disease thinks. It affects the way that they react to alcohol. And even if they they know they shouldn't drink, they forget to remember. So someone with a disease is responsible for treating the disease. Someone with cancer is responsible for doing the treatments, for doing the chemo or the radiation or getting the surgery. Somebody with diabetes is responsible for their daily insulin and monitoring their blood sugar. They are not responsible for the fact that they have a disease. They are not responsible if the cancer relapses. It just gets so much harder when it's a mental illness because of the way it does affect the way that they think. Um, you know, I had, uh, I have had, I'm not sure if he's still alive, um, a cousin-in-law, my wife's cousin, who was schizophrenic. And when he took his medication, was able to live a normal life, but he didn't feel normal. I think that's the trick for people with a mental illness is figuring out how to treat it while still feeling like themselves. And, you know, the AA program gives that tool to a lot of people, but not everybody figures it out. And sometimes it takes a long time, a long time, a time for the pain to be deep enough. It took time for the pain, my pain to be deep enough for me to find and, and actually figure out that I wanted to go to recovery. I also feel that feeling of, if I'm not there watching... Something bad's going to happen. Um, and I think the only way I got past that was a lot of Al-Anon. The other thing that really helped me understand the disease, the way that alcoholism affects so many different people in so much the same way, was listening to a lot of AA Open Talks. And these days you can find them online. I put a link last week, a couple weeks ago, to And I'll put it in the show notes today at therecovery.show slash 194, a link to a site that has just lots and lots and lots of open talks. That's where I get most of the open talks that I include in the, in the podcast. Listen to some AA talks. Listen for the similarities between the talks. Recognize the differences, but listen to the similarities in the arc of the story. And that helped me to start to see it as a disease. So that helps a little. Do go to meetings. Um, I already responded about online meetings. Maybe maybe that can help you too. We got a voicemail from Aquila talking about feelings.
2: Hey Spencer, this is Akilah. I was talking about the feelings, recovery, and compassion episode. First I wanna thank Diana for sharing her story. And second I just wanted to say feelings. We talked about this at a meeting recently, but the thing about feelings when I was growing up, I have really compartmentalized my feelings, which is to say that I didn't have any Because, and that was a point of pride for me. But what I realized is that I had decided very young that because the way I felt didn't change anything, it was better to not feel or to not express feelings because it wouldn't change or make a difference in my situation. And so to show I was upset was to give the, you know, the people in my life causing chaos power over me. What I've learned here, of course, is that that's not necessarily true anymore. I don't know if it was true it felt true when I was a kid and growing up and then it stopped it stopped being it stopped serving me as 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 it usually goes. And so the thing about it was when I got in the program I started experiencing feelings and I thought I was going crazy. And that was the thing we were talking about, like um this idea that I think one of the readings I hope for today, of Course Change, talks about it's kind of like if a limb falls asleep and it has no feeling, all of a sudden, sudden, it comes back, and then you start having all this pain, and it's like, I don't know what's going on, or if, um, something's frozen, and then you thaw it out, and then you get all this sensation, but I thought I was going crazy, because I was like, something is wrong with me, and I remember my daughter saying to me, you're not crazy, like, you're sad, and that's okay, <laughs> so just um for anybody out there who's listening, feels like maybe they're losing a little bit, because they're all, the upsell of emotion is I've discovered that it's part of the process and it feels really weird. And then after a while, it sort of just like, oh, I feel, this is a feeling and it's this feeling. And when I first, I remember I was in therapy um, and my therapist gave me a feeling list and I actually had it up on my wall for a little while because I really just didn't know. Well, I could say I I was annoyed and I was hungry and I was tired. And two of those are not really emotions. And so that really helped me figure out what the feelings were instead of, you know, being like, I'm just annoyed. Like sometimes annoyed was sad or angry or um, variations of that. And sometimes it was I need a nap. All right. Talk to you soon. Thanks. Bye.
0: Got an iTunes review last month from Tina titled So Good. I am in early recovery and can't get to more than two Al-Anon meetings a week. This podcast has helped tremendously on a daily basis. Sincere thanks. It doesn't cost you anything to listen to The Recovery Show, but we do have expenses which run about $60 a month. You can help to support us and keep us on the web and in your ear in a couple of ways. We have a donation button on the website where you can support us directly, just like Michelle, Roberta, and James did. And thank you again, Michelle, Roberta, and James, for your contributions. We have put together a list of recovery-related books. Click on the books link at the top of the page, and if you order one of these books from Amazon through our website, we will receive a small commission. You can also order books directly from Al-Anon. We don't get a commission on those because Al-Anon deserves all the money. It costs you nothing extra and helps to keep us on the air. Thank you for your support. In whatever form you give it, whether it's sharing the podcast with your friends, simply direct them to the therecovery.show, or just listening. We are here for you. Thank you for listening and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace growing you one day at a time.